Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell in Seattle. My co-host Tiffany Parks is in Rome. And we want to extend a huge thank you to those of you who donated to help us pay that gigantic web hosting bill that we were facing. With your help, we made it just in time. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And it is never too late to help keep this show going. If it is something that you love, something that you've come to rely on in your life, we make it independently, but nothing is free. So donate to keep this show going if you love it. Donate at thebittersweetlife.net or become a patron of the show, a sustaining member at patreon.com slash thebittersweetlifepodcast. You can find links in the show notes. And also, we'd love to hear from you. There is a lot going on in the world right now. How are you doing? What are you seeing? What are you feeling? What do you long for? What do you need? Send us a voice memo and we'll share your thoughts on the show. Tell us where you are and give us a snapshot on where you are today. What you're thinking about, what you're wondering about, what you're wishing for. Tape a voice memo and email it to us at bittersweetlife at mail.com. That's bittersweetlife at M-A-I-L dot com. We want to hear your voice. And now, on with the show. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today I have a sound warning. I don't know if you're going to pick it up or not on my microphone, but there is a Black Lives Matter gathering happening right across the street from my house right now. So you may hear some people yelling things in support. You might hear a lot of car horns as people go by. We are a nation in protest right now. Day, I don't even know how many. I think it's day 11 on the day we're taping. I have no clue. Yeah, it's (laughs) going to just go on and on, which is great. But we're not going to be talking about that much today. We're going to be talking about tourism. And I have to say, Tiffany, as a person over in the United States right now, which... It's a historic but very turbulent time here in the U.S. right now. And to see all your photos of you guys getting to go see (laughs) the Coliseum and the empty piazzas and uh, the empty Spanish steps, which we've talked about, it couldn't be... More different. More different. Yeah, it's just... I look over there and I think, wow, the experience that you are having right now is historic in its own right, for the sense that the Romans have the city to themselves for the first time and who knows how long. Probably the first time since World War II, like the thick of World War II. Yeah, so I'm, that's a remarkable and notable occasion also, but it is in sort of a joyous way, whereas over here, it's a very tense time, it's a very uh, anxious time, it's a very inspiring time, also hopeful in many ways, but a very turbulent time, surely. So. We are going to look at the softer side of things. No, we're not. We're going to talk about tourism and what might happen to Rome if the tourists never really come back. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I should say a couple things. It is not necessarily joyful here in Rome. I take things in a joyful way, usually. That's kind of my modus operandi. I am a positive 
Pollyanna type if you want to go there. So I will uh, focus on always the, uh, the positive things. But that doesn't mean that people here aren't suffering and struggling. There are a lot of people who have not only lost their jobs, but lost their whole businesses, what they've worked for their entire lives. And, and, and a lot of people are suffering financially because this country is just not as organized. The government is not as organized as the United States government. Even if it, that seems really disorganized to you right now, Italy is worse. So there's a lot of people who are having no government assistance whatsoever, no unemployment benefits. It's so it's really, really hard time for some people. So I don't want to make it sound like, oh, yippee, everything's wonderful here in Rome and we're just wandering around like it's 1960, riding bikes. I mean, we're doing that. We're doing that. And people in Rome are definitely enjoying their city. And it's a beautiful thing to see uh, because so often Romans don't get out in their city. I mean, a lot of people do, but a lot of people don't because they just, you know, they don't want to fight the crowds. They're not going to find a place to park or it's just too overcrowded. They don't even want to go there. Lots of people have never been to the Colosseum who live here and maybe they're going to start, you know, maybe they're going to go. People are out there enjoying their city, but I just don't want to make it sound like, oh, everything is chipper and everyone is just skipping along because tourism is a huge part of the Italian economy and it trickles down to restaurants and all sorts of tourist adjacent businesses and so people are really really suffering and the economy is suffering and unlike the American economy the Italian economy does not bounce back the last time the Italian economy took a huge dive it has still not recovered fully and so we're basically finding ourselves in the same spot that we were like in the 1990s they're saying so just wanted to put that out there I did see though in an article in the New York Times today they interviewed one woman who had gone to the Colosseum because it was her shining opportunity to go. And she was saying, yeah, I haven't been here since elementary school. Yeah. Usually, you know, it's the, it's, there are areas of the city in Rome. I, I know from living there that if you live there, you just kind of try to avoid it. You try to walk as far around it as you can. And the Colosseum is sort of the epicenter of that, mm -hmm. particularly when it's a high tourist season. You don't want to be stuck in traffic around it. You don't want to be trying to get through there. Heaven forbid you're in any kind of hurry. Oh, yeah. You're just stuck. It's like a slow-moving cattle herd yeah. around there. So <laughs> so I understand how, how exciting and thrilling it would be mm -hmm. to be able to do that. And even if it's amongst all this hardship, another part of the article was all about the people who run the Colosseum and how much of a deficit they're falling into. And they need to make a certain amount of money to pay for the upkeep of the historic monument itself. So never mind profits, etc. Luckily, the Italian government takes care of its culture. <laughs> so most of these sites do get a lot of funding from the government. At least there's that. I worry more for people's jobs who work in tourism or who work in restaurants and stuff. And But I did want to maybe touch on this idea of how is a city going to change if tourism doesn't come back, and I mean, it might come back in a year, and it might be just as crowded as it was by next year. So it might be a very short-term change, or it might not even fully change at all. But we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. So, but de definitely this summer, there's not going to be any major tourism in the city this, this summer. It's going to be a wash. And even though some Europeans might come, but it's never going to be like it was without its outside of Europe tourists and mass tourism and stuff. But no, it just got me thinking, even as far as restaurants are concerned, you know, there's so many 
restaurants in the city where their clientele is 60% or more tourists. Some feel like they're 100% tourists. Give me an example of a place that you've known of for years that you've never set foot in. Okay, there's a place, Interestevere, okay. So there's this kind of main drag, Interestevere, that if you if you live there, if you've spent time there, you know. It's not the biggest street in the neighborhood, but it's kind of the one where everybody's just always walking up and down. It's called Via della Lungaretta. You looked at an apartment on that street, actually, but on the quieter side. I still wish I'd gotten that apartment. That was such a great apartment. Really? Yeah. Oh, I loved your apartment, though. I loved the one you got. Mm, it was a better apartment. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter. Everybody listening is like, don't care. That was 2013. Katie's still regretting an apartment she didn't get. Move on. I am still regretting certain apartments I didn't get. <laughs> so Via de Lungaretta is this very bustling, very narrow, but very bustling street where just people are walking up and down the street constantly. And at the corner of that street, and I want to say Piazza Belli, which is sort of right where off of the tram goes, there's a big square, big for, you know, Rome, big for Trastevere. And there's a, there's a restaurant on the corner called Carlo Menta. Mm-hmm. And I actually have to admit, I have been there once, but it was my very, very first year in Rome, maybe my first month living in Trastevere. So I'm going to give myself a pass on that. But it is so touristy. It's got like a couple of antique cars or like an antique Vespa parked outside, you know, very characteristically. It's got the lights hanging up. It's got the checkered tablecloths. It's one of those places where the guitar players, street musicians always stop by to play their music. And Claudia and I went out for a walk one evening about a week ago in Trastevere. And that restaurant was completely closed. You could see that there were some restaurants that were open and some restaurants that were just completely closed. And I mean, nobody was having bustling business. But I think that the restaurants that are closed that didn't even bother opening are the ones that only have tourist traffic because... They never tried to win over the locals. Trastevere is one of those parts of town that has a lot of tourists come through it, but also has a lot of locals who either live there or more likely who just go there because they like it there. You know, they think it's a nice part of town. It is. It's a very lively, very young, happening, exciting part of town. And it's also charming. And there's also a lot of restaurants and bars. So there are some restaurants that really cater to the locals that you kind of have to know where they are and they're on back streets and they're not as flashy and they don't have the big sign outside and they don't have the menu outside with the photographs and the translations in four different languages. And then there are the touristy restaurants and sometimes they're side by side. And it was just very interesting to note that the touristy ones just didn't open. And I wondered, is this a big loss if we lose these touristy restaurants? These restaurants that possibly don't really care about quality. Only if they're not replaced with the same thing when the tourists come back. Right, that's true. That's the hard thing to know. Will will the tourists be gone long enough that these restaurants, the ones that just put next to no care into anything that they do, close up or remodel themselves into trying to fit the locals? Are, we, are the tourists gone long enough that they change to adapt? Or... Does that place just close down and then as soon as the tourists pick back up again, something else moves in in its place and captures that spot? I think probably a little of both will happen. Can I ask another question? Do you have a sense of, I mean, I don't know that you're friends with a lot of restaurant owners, but do you have a sense that if a restaurant owner was looking for 
a place to put their business that they would try to capture a corner like that that would be kind of stereotypically touristy? I think it depends on the restaurant owner, really. I don't know that many. I know some. But obviously being in a place where you have lots of traffic can only be good for business. And there are places, like I said, there are places in Trastevere that have those great spots that are nevertheless very, very good. So just because you have the quality spot doesn't mean by definition you're going to be, you know, you're going to have crappy food. I don't necessarily think that someone would use that as an excuse, but maybe, I don't know what goes into restaurateurs' minds, you know, what separates the one who cares so passionately about the quality of his product as opposed to the one who's like, just give them crappy food, they're going to come anyway. (laughs) Yeah, they're going to come anyway and then they're going to never see them again. It's like eating at an airport. Yeah. Let me ask you another question. Do you... As a tour guide for many, many years and a person who writes for a tourist magazine, do you have any tips or secrets for how, when we're traveling, to actually figure out we should eat at this place? I mean, I know that don't eat at a place where there's pictures of the food. Don't eat where there's some guy yelling at you being like, get in here. We got got pasta. (laughs) Signorina, signorina. Avete pranzato? Those kinds of things. But is there anything else that you can actually look for? My mom, my mom is a genius at this. She's a genius. She has like a sixth sense for good restaurants. I don't know how she does it. She's done it so many times, not just in Rome, but I've been with her on other trips. And she's just like, let's go down this street. I guess the trick is go down a side street, get away from the main drag and look for doors that are closed and maybe that look old fashioned. Like I think there's this restaurant in Rome called La Campana, which is very traditional Roman. You're not going to get anything fancy there, nothing with frills, nothing creative. Some Italian restaurants, they put a creative modern touch on like an old classic. They don't do that here. It's the basics. It's on this little kind of offshoot of a very important, very central street. Uh, My mom discovered it. Lots of people know it, but she discovered it as far as I'm concerned. And it has no, you know, it had just a small door. The door was closed. And so we just went in. And one of the things that you notice in that restaurant is that the furniture is very old. Not that it's falling apart or anything, but it's not like, oh, this is the new modern design. Oh, isn't this place chic? It's very old-fashioned. This place has been here a long time. This place has lasted. There's a reason that some restaurants, they stay in business for decades and decades and decades. It's because it's good and because people who live there know about it and they go back. And they go back maybe every Sunday or at least once a month. And you see people in there, like you just, you know, by the way that they interact with the waiters, they, they go there all the time. So maybe those are some, some tricks. Look for old furniture. <laughs> old people, old furniture, back alleyways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That said, though, that said, there are a lot of really great restaurants in Rome that are new and that have this more creative menu. Those are some of the restaurants that are winning the, you know, the awards and the Michelin stars and stuff. And to find those, you really need to do your research and read the food blogs and you'll find some some good tips that way. Hmm. Well, going back to what if Rome never has tourists again, which of course will never happen, but no. What if for years it's not packed to the level? For those of you who are listening who have never been to Rome when it's like high tourist season, it really is, I mean, how to even describe how crowded it is in general around the city is. It's hard to describe. If you go to the Trevi Fountain on a busy, 
I wouldn't even say busy day because it's all busy, but like on a high day in high season. So anywhere from April to October, if you go there in the middle of the day, it's so crowded that it's like wall to wall people in a large piazza, wall to wall people. Pantheon, it's not so bad, but the Spanish Steps and Trevi, the Spanish Steps is a, is a very, very large piazza. So it doesn't get quite as crowded, but this Trevi Fountain the many, 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 many times I've stood in that square while it was packed, while I was leading a tour, you have to fight your way down to the fountain. You have to, I mean, it's intense. And we talked about on our earlier episode that, you know, maybe if travel is a little bit less excessive, it might be a good thing. But that's not really what I wanted to talk about today. I just wanted to talk about like how things really might change for a city. And that has to do not just with restaurants and will the restaurants improve? Will we get better restaurants? Will there be fewer restaurants, but better restaurants? But also like, okay, a huge issue in Italy, I mean, in a lot of places, but a huge issue in Rome, particularly since we're talking about Rome, is the whole Airbnb thing. I did a little research before uh, hopping on with you and I found an article in Italian that said that something like half of all rental apartments, apartments that are for rent, in the historic center of Rome are Airbnb. Hmm. That's a huge problem. If you think about the fact that for every apartment that's on Airbnb, that's one less apartment that a Roman can live in. And it just creates a kind of chain reaction because if there are fewer apartments, the rent is gonna be more expensive. That means that a lot of Romans just aren't going to be able to afford to live in the center. And that will cause more of these apartments to go vacant and then be turned into bed and breakfast. So there's just a vicious cycle. But the fewer Romans that live in the center, the fewer locals, I should say, that live in the center of Rome, this causes then the shops, the artisan-run shops, the cobbler, the guy who sells fish, the fruit stand... You know, the hat maker, the light bulb. The light bulb. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be something quaint. It could just be, you know, the local electrician. All of these things, slowly, they start to go out of business. And these are places that have been there for generations. And they've been going out of business for decades. They've been slowly, what they turn into is either they turn into a tourist shop or they turn into a mini mart. Mm-hmm. It's not like a grocery store. You can get potato chips there and Coke. And not only are these things, not selling anything of quality, but they, they also are eyesores in the city. You know, those souvenir stands that then put their wares on the sidewalk that are so ugly and so unattractive that just ruin the landscape of the city. They become more and more because there's no Romans in the city to buy fish or buy light bulbs. They're buying it in their neighborhoods like I do. I don't buy fish in the center of Rome. I don't buy light bulbs in the center of Rome. I buy it out here where I live because it's unaffordable for me to live in the center, at least not in now that I have a kid and stuff, it's one thing when you're single and you can kind of get away with living in a very small place and not having a car and stuff. When you have a family and you have a car and you have a child, and you have to, it's very difficult to live in the center. And what does that do to a city? What does it mean for a city mm-hmm. that its own people can't live in it? And they're forced further and further out into the outskirts of the city. Well, they would need to, I mean, because a lot of that's already happened. So I guess the question is, will it change? Will it reverse course? If the tourists don't come back, will that be like a part of the rebuilding of the economy following the pandemic? I wonder. I wonder. And it just depends on, like we said, if it, how long it lasts. But I have a friend who's looking for a new apartment. 
her lease is up and she's looking for a new apartment and she wants to stay in the center of the city. But she's found that all the places that she's finding are former Airbnb places that are trying to desperately stay afloat. And so they're going to be renting to locals, but they don't want to rent for very long. You know, they want to rent for six months or a year or maximum two years, which is not typical in Italy. Italy, usually you rent for a minimum of four years if it's a legal contract. And these people don't want to do that because, of course, they want to be able to go back to, to their high-profit Airbnb as soon as the tourists return. And so this friend of mine is having a really hard time finding an apartment. Mm. I mean, the other thing that could change is that the Italian law changes so that the minimum is shorter. Kind of like the U.S., the minimum's a year, usually. What do you mean the minimum? You have to rent it for a year. It's not like you're guaranteed it for more than that. Right. But, you know, there are protections in place, so it's not... You can renew. Yeah. Renters are very, very well protected in Italy. I think I talked about this in a mini episode called Rent. Yeah. It's sort of a renter's market in the sense that the renters have a lot of rights, which I think is good. You never want to be in a situation where you can be thrown out of your home in a moment's notice. But on the other hand, that makes people not want to rent to, you know, real residents. It's like, I don't want to deal with these, you know, long contracts and never be able to kick someone out if they don't pay their rent. So... So I'm just going to do the Airbnb route. I mean, it's understandable. It makes sense why people do that. Also, they make more money, but also just they don't have to deal with the, you know, okay, I have this apartment, but I I can't kick these people out for four years. What if I want to move back in, you know? So it's understandable, but it it is a problem because when cities become totally overrun by tourism, they lose so much of their character. And this happens in Venice. I remember reading an article, and this is years ago, like maybe even 10 years ago, about how the very last nursery school in Venice was being closed and was being turned into a hotel. And what you get, I mean, if you, I don't know if you've been to Venice, Katie, but Mm -hmm. it's kind of like a Disneyland type place. It doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel like people live there because people don't live there. I mean, you know, a few people do, but so few locals live year round in Venice that you don't feel like you're in a real place. You feel like you're in a postcard. Yeah, it definitely had that feeling. You should not be able to buy masks in that many locations in one city. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Venetian masks. She's not talking about. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm uh, not talking about pandemic masks. Although maybe the Venetian mask would be a nice solution. You could go a little bit fancier, make it more of a party. And everybody would be more willing. Except it's your eyes that are covered, not your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Well, your eye. I I don't know. The one that Derek has is a full face. Full face. Mm -hmm. Okay. There you go. How do you breathe in those? You can see his eyes. So there's air coming in. (laughs) (laughs) Through his eyes? (laughs) (laughs) Through his eye holes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, I know what you're saying for sure. I've Seattle had kind of the opposite problem in the last few years. And it's definitely changed so dramatically now that it's not even an issue as much anymore but it used to be with seattle people couldn't live downtown because there was no grocery store there was no where to there was nowhere to go to school there was no infrastructure for a bunch of people to live downtown at one point now there are grocery stores downtown um and there's you know been so much remodeling with the growth of these tech industries that whole neighborhoods exist now that didn't exist before and those neighborhoods are built on the idea of wouldn't it be nice if you could just walk to work in two minutes and go to the grocery store in three minutes that kind of thing so seattle's definitely changed 
That's how things used to be. That's why there were cities, because no one had cars. And so either you lived in the countryside because you were a farmer, or you lived in a city. Even if it was a small city, you lived in a town. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm, this uh, suburbs didn't exist. There was no such thing until the age of the automobile. I miss that. I, part of me loves having the tranquility of living in the suburbs, almost suburbs. There are positive aspects of it. But I think the reason there are positive aspects of it is because I live in such a huge, crowded, chaotic city. And I think if I lived in a medium-sized town or a town with a little bit more breathing space that you wouldn't feel the need to be sort of out of the city. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But here it's the opposite because we used to have supermarkets in the center. I mean, there still are supermarkets in the center. They're very small. There still are. But it's like slowly, slowly these things are disappearing. These wonderful historic artisanal shops are closing down. And it's no surprise if the if the residents aren't there anymore. And I mean, I think cities like New York are so fascinating and so magnetic to people and people love them so much because they are full of locals. I mean, like New York is full of New Yorkers who live there. That's true. And when Rome closed down, when it really locked down, and then it slowly started opening up, in my neighborhood, there were always people walking around. And I had friends in Testaccio or in, you know, neighborhoods that are closer to the center, but that are, are very populated with Romans. Monteverde, Balduina, these like right outside of center areas that were had people walking around and doing their shopping and going here and there. The center was dead when Claudio and I went to the Piazza di Spagna on May 7th, I believe. I mean, it was, there was almost no one. And it made me realize that the center of Rome is for tourists. It's not for the Romans in a pretty stark sense. And, and I think that's a sad thing. I think that people, when they, are, when they travel, they want to see the locals. They want to experience the real city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a shame when that's not there. It's so complicated. Yeah. Seattle, I don't know that we're intentionally going back and reclaiming, but it's interesting because <clears throat> you haven't been in Seattle for a while. Well, I was there in 2018. Not that long ago. Oh, I know. But there's a big change that you haven't seen yet. Seattle used to have a freeway that ran along the waterfront. And as a result, it was called the viaduct. And as a result, the only people who were at the waterfront were tourists. And so there's a whole bunch of like pirate shops and and weird, (laughs) funny, like, yeah, pirate shops and crab stores and or Ferris wheel. Ye old curiosity shop. That's still there. Ye old curiosity shop is the one great thing to go see on the waterfront. I love that. Place. With the exception of the aquarium, which is fantastic. However, so the viaduct was there and so it made the waterfront extremely noisy. It became a sort of a touristy place and the locals hardly ever went there. And now... Is the viaduct gone? Tiffany, yes. The viaduct is gone. Huh. Painstakingly removed bit by bit, concrete piece by concrete piece, you would not even believe how different it feels down there and how quiet it is. It still is touristy down there because they haven't connected where the city is to the waterfront yet. It's still just sort of these piles of rubble and cars and they haven't put in any parks or anything that links it yet. That would be cool. But the hope is that someday it'll feel like it's an integrated part of the city and it will be interesting to see does it turn into a place where the locals go again? Like, I don't know. We'll find out. 
Or will it become, you know, even more like San Francisco's pier where it's just like a giant carnival ride where, you know, tourists just pack it? I, I have no idea. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder that they didn't... Um, I've, been, I've driven on the viaduct. I drove on the viaduct just two years ago. Uh, I think it was the first time I ever drove on it, actually. <laughs> no, I feel sorry for you. It's the prettiest drive in the world. It is. It is. I was going to the airport and I was like, this is awesome. I'm like up here. I'm like right over the... Right over Elliott Bay, the city is on one side, the water is on the other side. It was like, this is a fantastic drive. How have I never been on this road before? <laughs> but I'm surprised that they didn't do what they did in New York with the High Line and turn the actual viaduct into a park. That would have been wonderful. Well, believe me, the debate over what to do with the viaduct raged for years. And they did propose leaving part of it up. I mean, the difference between the High Line and the viaduct was the viaduct was really ugly and very big and yeah. was sort of this monolithic wall along the waterfront. It was the most gorgeous drive in the world and the vantage point of it was fantastic. I missed it. I drove on it a lot before they, it went down. But I got to say, it's one of those funny things, too, because they took it down because it was unstable and going to break, and especially if an earthquake happened. And so everybody still drove on it, but I don't think anybody in the city of Seattle didn't drive on it thinking, please not now, please not now, please not right now, not now, not now. The whole time you're driving along, and it's beautiful, it's gorgeous, please don't let it happen right now. No earthquake, no earthquake. Oh my gosh, let me tell you, we were stopped when we were on our road trip last summer. We drove from Carmel down to LA in over four days, and we were stuck on the famous, I want to say it's called the Bixby Bridge. Uh, it's one of those famous old bridges in Big Sur. And it's from the 30s. I mean, and it's a gorgeous place. It's, it's incredibly gorgeous. It's like one of those postcard places. And there was work going on along the Pacific Coast Highway. It was the kind of thing where like you got to stop so one lane can go. And you got to wait for all the cars. But it, you'd be stopped for half an hour. And we were stopped on that bridge for half an hour. And my wonderful husband was like, can you imagine what would happen if there was an earthquake right now? I'm like, are you kidding me? I just, I would never even have thought of that. It wouldn't have even crossed my mind. And ordinarily, I would not even, I would be like, whatever. But my child was in the car. Be quiet. <laughs> I got to get out of here now. It was fine, but it was, it was a little scary. Panic rising. So obviously, we'll come to no conclusion of this because so much would need to change. Tourists would need to be away long enough. People would have to build some sort of new commerce. They'd have to get rid of the opportunists selling of garbage to tourists in different spots. I mean, how would they get people who already have moved out of the, of the center to move back in? I mean, that's the real thing. They'd have to do what Seattle did. You try to rebuild what was lost. Now, we built a whole bunch of new housing down there, things that didn't exist. They put it in places to try to get people to come back down. And then they would have boosters in neighborhoods, people who were living there, who were engaged citizens who form groups to try to attract people back into their neighborhoods. But there's a big difference between Seattle and Rome because Seattle is a city that is growing tons of jobs, tons of wealthy people moving here for work. That is not the reality in Rome. You know, the people do move here to work at, at some of the international organizations or, you know, but there's nothing really that 
draws people don't come here because they're going to make a lot of money here either they're from here or they come here because they love the city or they come here from other parts of italy where they really have no opportunity so you know building high first of all i mean you can't build in rome (laughs) you can't build in the center yeah i mean it's almost like they would need the airbnb would have to not work enough that those people went back to renting to people who were coming in i think that would be how it turns Really, the only way it would work is if the rent was lowered mm-hmm. dramatically. Because the reason, the main reason that Romans don't live in the center of Rome, the number one reason, I would say, there's probably more, more reasons than that, but the number one reason is just the price. It's just too expensive. It's double the price of living outside the city or more. The price and probably the tourists. And the tourists and the fact that it's so crowded with tourists, yes. Yeah. And also there are there are other issues. There are mobility issues. It's very difficult to park. Yes. I think that was my husband's number one reason for wanting to move out here. Just the <laughs> the hell of having to park and look for parking in Trastevere every night. He didn't get home until like 7:30. <laughs> so at that yeah. time it's like everyone's showing up to go out for dinner and he sometimes would spend an hour looking for parking. To go home. (laughs) That would get tiring. Yeah. I've lived in an urban neighborhood in Seattle that was like that. And it's not only the trying to find the place to park, but it's also the next day where you're like, now where did I park the car? (laughs) Because every single day it's different. Okay, last night I parked it where? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I totally get that. I totally get that. I thought we could end with a question that one of our listeners asked. Christy, who asked you about the soldiers that you see marching around the Colosseum. <laughs> right. I should pull that letter up because it's so funny. Hang on. Yeah, do so. Do so. Because I also, um, I read this question. I happened to be in my courtyard one afternoon playing with, and there were all the parents of the kids, of, you know, of our building playing. And we were all sort of sitting around and I said, oh my gosh, you guys have to hear this email. <laughs> and I read it to them. Why don't you read it? Because I don't have it up in front of me. This is from Christy, who, by the way, thank you, Christy. Christy just sent me a letter in the mail. It was so exciting to receive it. Thank you so much. Okay. She wrote, Katie, if you have a minute, she's attached a picture to this, by the way. These gladiator guys in Rome. I had a coworker tell me that they are forced to do public humiliation gladiator roles as a sentence for minor infractions, like (laughs) drunk and disorderly or similar. We laughed so hard when we heard that afterwards. They seemed to be having fun. Figured I would ask someone who lived there a year, surely you could answer this question for my sisters and I. We had a lot of laughs. And then she attaches a picture of the three of them pretending to cut this one soldier's head off. I forwarded it to you, of course, because you have all the details. So, But for everybody else who might be wondering about those people, do you want me to read your response or do you want to just tell your response just read my response you can read my response okay well first it starts with a lot of like ha 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 <laughs> at the top <laughs> you all know that h-a-h-a-h-a-a uh okay so it's true that these guys this is tiffany's answer okay so it's true that most of these guys are ex-cons but it is in no way considered a humiliation for them in fact It's actually quite a lucrative job, or at least it was until recently, of course, pandemic aside, because they make so much money off tourists. In truth, most of them still behave like the criminals they once were, and a lot of unsuspecting tourists think that these guys work for the Coliseum, kind of like the characters at Disneyland, and happily take pictures only to be asked for a huge amount of money. They ask for whatever they think they can get, depending on the tourist. 
And if people don't pay up, they become very threatening. And also one thing almost zero tourists get is that they are not dressed as gladiators, but as Roman centurion. Yes. The high ranking soldiers. Right. Right. So yeah, that made me laugh so much. And and I had to read it to my neighbors. And Claudio was there as well. He got a huge laugh out of it. And yeah, but they said, you know, I said, I feel bad for these Americans who go there who are used to going to Disneyland. They would never even dream that these people don't, you know, it just seems so obvious. And, and they said, it's not just Americans, actually, a lot of Italians from outside of Rome are think the same thing. They think all oh, these people work here. And then they're, they're totally gouged. Yes. I mean, who knows what happened to those guys in this pandemic? Maybe one day it could be a viable punishment for drunk and disorderly. (laughs) (laughs) What if they did turn it into more of a Disneyland? What if the opposite thing happens is that Rome becomes even more like Disneyland as a result of this pandemic and you have fake Roman soldiers and you got a fake Mussolini up in the window and one piazza. (laughs) What other characters? You could have Caesar. All of the Borgias roaming around in their robes. You could have Nero. Nero in a giant tub. I mean, it could be a real blast. (laughs) All people being publicly humiliated for drunk and disorderly. (laughs) Or these could just be desperate people trying to make a tip because they've been they've lost their livelihood so we'll give you an update on that if that's what occurs but is there anything you want to leave it did you know when the borders are opening are they open right now so the borders with the rest of the schengen states several european countries they opened on the 3rd of june i have not been into the city since then so i don't know is it like way more crowded i doubt it i doubt it i think it'll be a slow trickle Mm -hmm. for people coming back in they're saying that the 15th of June, it's going to open up to the rest of the world. And I think what they mean by that is you no longer have to quarantine for 15 days coming in. The borders were never really closed. It was just if you came in, you had to quarantine for 15 days. And now that quarantine is being lifted. And so it's just easier for people to come in. Will people actually come? I don't know how possible it's going to be for Americans to come. I mean, there are very, very few flights. The direct flights, I don't think, from Italy to the United States, I don't think there are any more direct flights right now. How many times are you going to have to change planes? How expensive are tickets going to be? We just, I don't think that even though they're planning to open everything back up on the 15th of June, I doubt we're going to see any tourists here for the rest of the summer, at least. Well, it will be interesting to see. It will be. We here in Seattle are still in phase one. I can't believe you guys are still in phase one. Jeez. Yeah. Which basically means we're not supposed to be going anywhere. Not taking any unnecessary trips, which I suppose, I don't know. What's necessary? For the soul? For the heart? Does trips mean trips outside of the city or trips even within the city, like a trip to the park? Oh, no, no. I mean, you can move around to the city. You're just not supposed to be traveling to other spots yet. Right. Well, I mean, be be grateful that you can move around within the city because as someone who's been there, not being able to go anywhere, and I mean anywhere, but the supermarket is, Mm -hmm. it was hard. It was really, really hard. Harder for other people than some. I was lucky in some case, in some senses, but it's hard to know that like you're stuck. Yeah. Well, now all all bets are off with uh, the process, so. 
Yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, I hope for your sake they start opening up the city, but obviously I hope they do it when it's time. Yeah, exactly. Well, we should leave it there. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. A quick reminder, we want to hear from you. There's lots going on where you are, wherever you are in the world. We want to know how you're doing, what you're thinking about, what you're seeing, what you're feeling, what you're longing for, what you're missing, what you're hoping for, what you're doing. Send us a voice memo, sharing your thoughts, giving us a snapshot of where you are in the world today. Tape a voice memo and send it to bittersweetlife at mail.com. That's bittersweetlife at M-A-I-L dot com. We want to hear your voice so much. And until next week, take care. (laughs) ¶¶